it's probably an even bigger challenge when you're in a city just to to be confident in who you are, to know who you are and just to, and to to be the best version of yourself for your for the people who love you and for the people around you that that you want to invest into, not for for everyone else. Welcome to Long Live Podcast. I'm your host, Asa Trichikoskaita. I'm here to remind you the power of your mind and that you are the creator of your life and your story. We'll talk about all things mind, body and soul and the connection between our inner dialogue, our thoughts and how it affects our bodies. I'll share my best advice, lessons and mindset shifts so you could stop overthinking and find peace of mind. This episode, I talk with an amazing entrepreneur, Nina Fountain. She has founded two businesses through her consultancy agency, Transform Teams. She helps leadership teams define and implement their vision for the most attractive and productive hybrid workspaces to create inspiring workplaces. Nina's passion to share the joy of design led her to establish her styling service, Style Gorgeous, which enables women to unlock personal style they completely enjoy. We talked about both of her businesses, how you can make your home office work for you, and also how to make your style make you feel your most best self. It's a valuable episode for anyone who is working from home or is a digital nomad and is working remotely and wants to bring more structures to your workplace. Hi, Nina. It's amazing to have you on the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm actually coming to you from hotel isolation in New Zealand after traveling to Australia. So I'm just glad to have, um, have the call and have a bit of distraction from being stuck inside a room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a great distraction when you have to isolate but we have internet, we have all the access to all the things around the globe, even though we are locked inside. So that's amazing. Yeah, so true. It's amazing so, what we can do across the globe. It's it's just incredible. Yeah, we are so connected. And like, I'm calling you from Egypt and you are in New Zealand. So I love that we can get connected so easily. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't realize you were still in Egypt. That's really exciting. Yeah, I came back. <laughs> I just wanted to extend my stay. Oh, fantastic. Gosh, you must have loved it. That's fantastic. Really, really love it being here. So I want to talk about you. And you're working in two fields that might not seem mm. interconnected, but they are from the perspective how you talk about them and how you approach them. So could you tell us a little bit more about your business and your why behind it? Why do you do consulting and also styling, which seem like different fields, but in a way they're really connected together? Yes, yeah, they're so, um, I, I guess I've had this experience a couple of times in my career where people have said, oh, oh, you do, you did that and now you're doing this. Like, how do these things, how do these things fit together? But each time there's been a really strong connection for me that I've that I've experienced. So um, the consulting is is really my why in that is to take people. I guess my why even before I think about which businesses I'm in, I know that as an entrepreneur I'm taking people 
on brave adventures that increase their success and joy. And that means that um, I'm often the one who's catalyzing them to a new journey that they perhaps wanted to go on or, or didn't even know that they needed to go on. Um, but it's going to increase their success and increase their joy in whatever that arena is. And so for me, the consulting business and the, and the styling are both a very um, clear expression of that in that they're, they're bringing people into a new place of success in a way that they can enjoy. And, yeah, so with the, the consulting, that is about creating workplaces that are more um, Enjoyable, enjoyable for people, more productive, achieve a win-win for the employer and for the for the individual. And we do that through a really a human-centered approach that's recognizing that, that people are at the heart of the workplace. And so when we're doing a workplace redesign, we need to um, really be thinking not just in terms of property, the technology that's going to furnish the space and make it usable, but we need to think how how can we make this space something that really works for people that's going to bring out their best and make, um, make you know, a win-win a, a there. And so that, that doesn't happen by accident. You need to put some strategy around it. The design requirements that an architect is looking for could go very much in the wrong direction if you're not clear about, about how you want to, to get there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's the workplace strategy piece, which is the, the consulting piece that leads into design work and then implementation um, using human-centered design principles to create transformational change. And then the styling is very much um, unlocking style that women enjoy. So they, I've, I've found for myself it was most easy to relate to women because that's been my journey. So I really wanted to, um, to bring all that I'd learned in my own styling journey to, to women and I know that it can hold women back in work and in life and um, in just being themselves and being um, in their relationships, you know, wherever they are in whatever arena, they can feel really held back by not having understood style and not having made it work for them. So um, I've really looked for elegant solutions there that are going to simplify and make it easy for women to to find that style that they truly enjoy. And so there's, to me, yeah, you're right. They are they are really connected. They're very much about how we bring, um, how we bring design to be, um, to how we make design something that's, that's fruitful and that helps us to do, to do better in each of those arenas in work and in life. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're changing their environments to, make and bring the best out of people because Definitely. yes at the workplace we need that but also with the styling you can bring that to other areas in your life if you're feeling good in the way that you look in the way that you style your clothes and everything mm. yeah uh, that's exactly right yeah and it got me really interested you mentioned that you're doing human-centered design how does that work because yeah most, yeah most of the time we just like think where do we need to put the tables how many people do we have in the workplace so how yeah does that work? yeah you're right and and it can be very top down it can be very much well we know we need to house 
500 people or, or 20 people. So we need a building this size and you start looking for leases, you start, you know, you set up a works workplace for, well, we need technology. We'll get the technology people on that. And sure, you can get all those hard factors in place and, and end up and put a few plants around the place, but end up with something that, that houses people and accommodates them, but doesn't actually support them to do their best work. And that could be because people are, um, they're more collaborative than the space really supports them to be, or they're, they need more con concentration areas, or they actually like to work in pairs a lot. And that might be part of the culture and there isn't, there isn't space or room for that. And where do you have a conversation if the protocol is to, to be quiet in the area? So there's a whole lot of um, more subtle decisions that an organisation needs to make and needs to get right. And if you put people at the centre of those decisions, then you're doing a few things really well. Firstly, you're, you're understanding the kind of problems that might come up that would otherwise um, just turn into problems and turn into niggles and, and issues. And so that you're addressing the coalface problems. That then reduces your risk around the project because you're more likely to get people being um, supportive and, and being um, happy with, with the space. And then also you're more likely, if you, if you do a human-centred process, <clears throat> you're more likely to get... Um, fans so people who have actually because they've been involved in helping create the design which is what human-centered design leads you to um, essentially through a through a prototyping process um, they're much more likely to support this new workspace and and the protocols that go with it because they've been part of building that um, so there's a there's a saying in change that people are uh, much more likely to support something that they've helped to build and it makes sense if, you know, if you or I spent two hours with someone talking about their business and helping them problem solve it, we would feel invested in that business. We would want them to succeed. We start, you know, we start wanting them to, wanting to know where they've got up to, whereas previously we didn't, it didn't rate, it didn't register, it didn't attract any of our attention. So, yeah, it's that that difference it makes to, um, to actually have people involved in establishing the design which is what human-centered design leads to, is really powerful. Yeah, that sounds so true because when we get involved, we feel like we are part of it and we kind of like co-created this space. It's not like it was exactly. just there and we came as visitors. That's it. Exactly. So, That's it. Yeah. And I'm really interested in your opinion. Like now more and more people are working from home Mm. What do you think? Will we have offices in the future? Because as you mentioned, we need, need different rooms and areas. Um, some need uh, space to be alone and to concentrate on the creative uh, part of the work. And others need more collaborative environment where a lot mm. of interactions happen. So what do you think what we will have moving on forward? Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting when we look at disruptions from the past and learn from how innovation works. The horse and cart and the car are a really good example of how um, the horse and cart existed co -along alongside each other for a long time. So um, they were completely different. They had different 
value propositions, if you like. The horse and cart was the the known way of getting around that everyone understood and had had structures for. They had stables for horses. They had, you know, they had people who were selling feed. They there was a whole system that would support that. And then you've got um, cars that came along, and they literally had to build the, the the car roads alongside the horse and cart tracks because they they were happening at, coexisting at the same time. But pretty soon, cars started to take over because they could go as fast as the horse and cart more cheaply and then they could start to go faster and so then they took over but we still have the horse and cart today um it's just used for a different purpose it's often you know it's those romantic rides around cities or it's um it's maybe used for a a kind of um interest piece or or hobby and so it's still it's still there in some form and I think for me that teaches us something about disruption in that we we could expect that even though working from home is is rising really significantly and we know that there will be a lot more working from home in the future as there is now um, compared to say where we were three years ago there'll still be a need for offices and and I think that that need will be around getting large groups of people together and also doing really creative work um, and and having team connection experiences and so those those things are much easier to do in person they're still it's still possible to do remotely and you you know with the right tools and the right practices and 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 great facilitation you can achieve each of those things but the ease with which people transfer information and um you know have have these moments of innovation where suddenly an idea sparks off something someone else said um and where informal interactions can happen really smoothly that that happens much more easily when you're in the same space physically so yeah it's for me that's where the office will will always play a role um and it'll it it's obviously, you know, as as avatars and um, and virtual reality take take more of a role in how we interact digitally. There'll be some people who are drawn to that as well. But I think what we're looking at is a diversity of different options, um, not really the death of the office. Hmm. Yeah, that that's true. I think that you're really right about saying that because even people who are digital nomads, my friends, they Mm. can travel and they can work from anywhere, but they still go to co-working spaces to meet people, to chat with them and maybe collaborate. Exactly. They want that, um, that human, that human touch. You know, there's something that happens when you're in the same, the same room as someone. There's a, um, a kind of connection and awareness of someone else's presence that, that you don't, get in to in the same way when you're when you're talking remotely yeah i think you're so that's 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 another great point that people just kind of want the human connection and it's a lot easier to do that when you're in person Uh, yeah and i love the example with car and horses because here in the hub in egypt they have like an evening horse ride and people love it and i think Uh, Yeah, and I think what you said about like having more choices and nowadays people can like start uh, choosing whether they want to work from home or whether they want to work at the office or like 
mix these two and I think it's good mm. to have that variety and I think we need variety mm. yeah I agree I think actually the variety is quite exciting because it gives you know where previously we had a very fixed model nine to five a traditional workplace was nine to five in the office and so the, the location's fixed the time is fixed and, and often there's very fixed ways around how you would get your work done within that, those parameters. And so to, to make the options more diverse is just going to appeal to more people and mean that more, um, you know, more people can suit their rhythms. They can be, be individually more productive. They can, they, yeah, they can um, do things in different ways, work in different locations. And so I think it's, it's a real win for for anyone who's working um who's working in an office job that can that where they can work remotely i think it's it's a really you know incredible win um it is contingent at the same time on the employer and and the workplace people within the workplace having um the right culture and the right practices around how they manage all of that diversity how they manage all of that difference and that those different ways of communicating those differences between how people want to work. Um, that's a, you know, a really significant challenge. Yeah, I can imagine because what I hear from people who work either remotely or at work at the moment, they, they want more freedom. And mm. this is what they feel it provides to them. So I think it's really great for for the for the people who can choose that but the for the owners of the business it can be a big challenge yeah it can it really can because people are quite used to you know a set of processes and how things worked they've got operating systems they've got their technology and um it's often technology bound so to to rebuild your processes and 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 redesign the way you operate, essentially to have a new operating model is um, potentially, you know, quite challenging and, and, and can really get at the core of, of what it means for the organisation to be productive or to, to earn its dollars, essentially. What is the biggest distraction for people when they're working from home? Because I heard someone can't stop checking their fridge, others have kids, pets, and it seems like people should be less productive. But what I uh, found um, in the data and in the ev evidence, it shows the opposite. That's a really great point. And I think the first, the first viewpoint is where employers were say four or three, three or four years ago, they were at that point of most employers thought that if they allow their staff, allow their staff to work from home, that they would be uh, less productive, that they would, you know, shirk rather than work. So they would um, not do the work and, and you'd have to be on their back the whole time and you can't do that as easily when they're at home. So, um, so why would we do that in our workplace? It would be crazy. And then, um, now, obviously, part of the drive behind the great resignation that the media is talking about and that McKinsey and others have, have researched and, and demonstrated quite quite strongly that there's a really strong desire to, um, to leave, the, to leave the, 
but people have a strong desire to leave their current working arrangements and, and find something better, whether that's going out on their own or or coming uh, and coming back as a consultant, or um, or finding another employer. But what's what's really behind that is that people believe that they have shown that they, they've demonstrated that they can work productively in the home environment, and um, if their employer isn't respecting that then suddenly they they feel that that's really unfair. And fairness is a bottom line uh, for people being committed and engaged in their work. If, if they believe that they're unfairly treated, um, that is, that's a reason for people to check out, um, you know, to, to say I'm, I'm done, I'm finding something else if they, if they feel unfairly done by it. So, um, yeah, so I think that, you know, the, the first view is, um, has was pretty common and and now employers are really being challenged to to see things differently in terms of productivity and in terms of what's as an individual what's your biggest distraction it could be different for each person um and this is the beauty and the variety of human beings is that we're so we're so different i heard i spoke with, with someone today i was researching for for a project and and she said that she's very distracted at home. She needs to be in the office because that's where people are on her back and asking her about deadlines. And she really finds it hard to be motivated at home. And and then you'll have other people who would rather be at home for four to five days and maybe have half a day in the office, um, but they'll work really productively when they're at home. And so so, I mean, I've heard of all kinds of distractions, like the ones you mentioned, people needing to put a lock on their fridge, people <laughs> kind of needing to um, to go out and um, and do the washing or some some housework. There's all kinds of distractions, neighbours, kids, family members who, who don't respect um, the boundaries or aren't even aware that you're working at the time. And, and I think the... The, um, the hardest thing is actually educating your family members on or your flatmates or your, you know, whoever else is in your home that um, that this is work, this is my workspace. So, yeah, I think there there are some ways to manage that. Oh, excuse me. My, I'll just touch my keyboard there. Um, but a lot of the... Um, a lot of the answer is not always palatable to people and that is it does come down to... Uh, self-discipline essentially so some some rituals and some practices um, some things that you do consistently that keep you keep you focused in your space yeah can we talk more about that because previously the home environment it was usually the space where we would come back and relax and recharge after work and now we connected those two so how can we make our home environment to work for us and not against us when we need to work. Yeah, I, I heard it said. Um, you know, we used to um, it, we used to be concerned about um, living at work. You know, that used to be where we would go into the office, and and if people were working too hard, you'd say they're living at work. But now we've got work in our homes, and so we could be: are we at home or are we at work? Or you know, am I living it at work? Is <laughs> now where it's got to. And yeah, I think the way to the way really around that, um, this is something I observed. I've been working with flexible and remote teams for about 10 years now. And often over that time, if someone was 
was anti-work from home. They would talk about how they tried it and it didn't work for them. And, and not, not certainly not in every case, but often there was a theme there where they had, they had their papers strewn all over the kitchen table or they had, um, you know, they had people coming in and interrupting them and there was no clear barrier. There was no clear reason for that person not to interrupt them. And it was, there was a consistent theme of people not managing their space so that it was um, dedicated to, to work. And the space you dedicate to work might just literally be, you know, a 50 centimeter spot on the wall that's got, um, it's got boards up on either side to stop the visual distractions. You know, that might be, that might be all it is. Um, or it might be a desk that can be pulled down in a, in a child's bedroom while they're at work, while they're at school and you can be at work. Um, or it could be like in, in my space, what I use is a, is the corner of my, um, essentially our living area, our, which has got our laundry room, our, our dining table and, and my, my desk and then I have a have a um, a screen, a wooden screen that I put up behind that. So when I'm at work, that screen is up. And yeah, I think it's really important to have a have a set up and a set down routine. And this is where you might hear some funny stories about you know people driving around the block, coming back, and then they're in work mode. And then they drive around the block again at the end of the day, come back and they're out of work mode. Um, for me, I have, you know, I, I have three things that I set up in the morning or, or take down. And if those three things are in place, then I know I'm at work. And that is the, my laptop's open. I've got my shoes on and I've got a water bottle beside me. And ideally I've got some kind of visual barrier behind me as well. And that, though, that process of setting up and getting into work helps your whole system, just like walking into the office, tells your body and tells your mind, I'm, in, I'm going to work now. This is, this is work. Um, and that's actually really important from a neuropsychological point of view. <laughs> you even put the shoes on. Does it help to, like, switch into the working mode easier? Yeah, it does. It does. It really does. There's, there's a, um, I did a little bit of neuropsychology in my university studies and, and there is some really fascinating stuff around this that, that you're cueing your whole neurological system. So we do, we do kind of need things in our environment to, to cue us into, into work and it can be so much harder to, to concentrate if you're just sitting there um, you know, one minute you were listening to or you were Facebook texting or something and you're in your pyjamas and you're basically in relaxed mode and then to then to just open your laptop and start working, it's very hard for your your nervous system, you know, your brain and, and, and all of your uh, neurons to actually concentrate on your on your work and to get to get primed and ready for for work and for thinking. I'm probably not the best example because I love working in my pajamas. And if I don't have a video call, then <laughs> like I have the whole pajama and chill vibe on. And yeah, we're, <laughs> we're wearing shoes in Europe. Home is really uncommon. So maybe I should have like working slippers. Yes, well, you could. <laughs> I mean, even, yeah, you could, you could decide that yours are, say, music, and uh, a particular 
particular photograph on your desk, um, your laptop open and your phone set to silent or something like that. So there's, you know, there could be other cues that you use that would, that would say to you, to your mind and to your body, this is work time now. That's so true. I have, yeah. but I actually turn up all the notifications, turn off, yeah, the notifications on my phone, turn off the sound and I put on some music. That's true. Before you mentioned it, there you I go. Yeah, that I do that. Yes, <laughs> that's cool. Isn't that? I love that because we're all so different. So it's going to be different for every person. Yeah, so true. Yeah, we we like to find the things that work for everybody, you know. But it's yeah. actually so individual, and yeah, some people need the sep to separate the workspace, as you said. You think it's it's best from the psychological perspective to have like a separate space where you know that it's a space where you come to work and mm. to have balance where you separate your work and your home environment or can we still I don't know sit at the couch chill and then do some work mm. yeah I, I think um I think what I've observed is that the people who are really successful at making work from home part of their productive routine they do have a separate space they do have a dedicated area because it is just so much more powerful and even if it's always consistently the same the same spot on the couch and you have those other visual cues then then that's a lot better than um you know than just kind of working all over the house in in lots of different spaces personally I think having a dedicated area that is visually separate is also really powerful for your for your family members and anyone who might visit the home because then they, they know um, that you're in your office or you're you know you're you're separate you're away you're doing something and um, and to be able to even set those spaces up so that they they are maximizing your productivity for your work um is you know that's great like for example if you do have a dedicated space you can have an ergonomic keyboard or you can have your vision statement for example for your work could be could be up on the on the wall there or um yeah you could you might have your microphone that you use for your for your calls or podcasts so you can always be thinking of work when you're prompted by the excuse me, by those areas and um, by that particular area and visual cues, yeah. But I do think it's um, what I've just observed that is it's part and parcel of the more successful people's approach that they will have a dedicated space, yeah. I really loved, I read a book by Austin Kleon and he mm -hmm. wrote that we spend so much time working on our computer and he wrote about an idea that we should have um, a table where we work mentally, uh, sitting mm. at our and just doing the work. And then that we should have a separate table or area where we do some creative work and where we use pencils and we draw or something. And before I was in the business, I actually... Uh, was studying archaeology and I did some field work and then I worked in the lab. And I mm. really loved that I was like using my body physically and then I was involved mentally. And I think it comes mm. from peace that it's like the best way to work this way. 
And I love this idea. I should try it out. And what do you think about it? That it's so interesting. And I can really see how if you if you take that same experience we're talking about where you're you're prompted and you're cued into into concentration mode and into work in your home in one at one desk or in one space and then instead you set up an area that prompts you into creativity and collaboration style um style working you would you would have different things there so you the way you sit and the way you posture yourself um i mean that there's a that gorgeous talk from amy cuddy on um on one of the ted talks about how the way you move actually does change your your mood your body movements changes your mood so um you know i think we know that that's well established so sitting at a desk and concentrating and thinking and looking typing on a keyboard that's really great for concentration work but absolutely moving around um having more soft surfaces um even like circles can lead to more innovative thinking there's some really cool um cool work around like the sense of flow in a space that that helps ideas to connect as opposed to kind of squares and keeping things neat so you can have these if you do set up these different areas you can play with the visual cues there so that they they encourage you to to think in different ways um there's a beautiful book called joyful um and i am sorry the author escapes me but i'll i'll provide you with the author's name um but she writes beautifully about these these different shapes and um and features within an environment that can prompt different personal experiences and different um different ways of thinking about things so i think there's a lot in that and that's essentially what we're doing in in workspaces in big workplaces where we're providing people with the the well designed work setting for concentration and then a really well designed work setting for collaboration and then another one that's for for mingling and connecting with with peers and with colleagues and and there'll be you know 10 to 15 of these different types of work settings that will suit different types of work so yeah it really um it's it's really well acknowledged that that those environmental settings will support people to work work better and more productively in that the nature of that work whatever they're doing at that time yeah so the environment's a huge and big part in the way we feel and the way we perform so how can we bring that to style our clothes and yeah to the other part that you also do and provide for women how can we do that how how can we look into yeah. our style to make it feel mm -hmm. as better to be better so this is this is where it gets really cool in that the the external and the internal i guess we're just we're just talking about the connection there of how like you said the environment is cueing us or facilitating a particular type of of thinking in a particular way of of working in a in a scenario in fact our, our clothes can often do the same thing so if you're if you're someone who really likes to be relaxed and comfortable but um you know as a kid for example you were dressed in in jackets or a, or a tightly buttoned up 
for your school uniform, you might, the first thing you do when you get home is probably rip that school jacket off and take your shoes off and, and feel so much more relaxed. Um, and so that, that's actually one type of style that people have, their style um, profile. And then there's another, so that more comfortable, uh, relaxed, likes really soft materials, likes to be, um, yeah, likes to likes to feel the textures of clothes and the textures of clothes are really important to them. And then there's another style profile and there's, there's about four of them um, that actually really likes to be in those tighter fitting clothes and to be buttoned up and to have things on that feel close fitting around the wrist or anywhere, you know, like your neck or it could be anywhere on the body, but just that really tailored fitted feeling is actually something they they really love and and i think actually we're with fashion a lot of us have have heard different fashion rules and we think oh i should be wearing this i should be wearing that or you know some some person we admire is wearing it and they think oh they can wear that why can't i wear that um but in fact again it's it's really about tapping into our individual way of doing things and having the, the freedom and the confidence to think, well, well, actually, no, that's just me. That's, that's me. And if I dress the way, if I dress in my own style profile, my own best way of being me, I'm going to pull that off a lot better than if I was trying to be someone else. So, yeah, I think there's, um, there's a huge amount of power in, in connecting with the, the style profile that each of us has and and that helps us to be more um you know more who we are and and as you're wearing those things they speak back to you and and during the day so that you you actually feel you feel good about yourself when you're wearing things that that really connect with your particular style profile can we have mixed style profiles because also for the environment for example we have sport clothes and then we have um, evening dresses and so on and we kind of like have different clothing depending on the event that we're going to does it make sense mm. yeah yeah definitely yeah so I'm, I'm not sure I caught the, the whole question Asa do you mind just saying that again because I, I missed the, at the beginning it just cut out sorry yeah, I was thinking, can we mix the styles or is it like a different thing when we are dressing up differently for a specific events? For example, we dress in one way when we're going to work and then we would dress completely differently when we go to a party with friends. And then mm. there's, yeah, when we go for running or do some sports activities. Yeah, um, yeah, actually there are four style profiles and people have people have a, a mix of them. So um, the first one is all about lightness and fun. And um, the one I described to you is more the comfort, who likes comfort, she goes for flow and for ease. And then there's a third one that is all about power and substance. And then there's a fourth one and she's all about order and detail. And so those are kind of keywords, if you like, that you can 
you can use in any of those circumstances. So whether it's sports clothes or evening wear or um, you know, picking the kids up from school or turning up for a meeting or um, shopping, you know, whatever the outfit is for those for those different circumstances, she'll be able to dress in a way that suits her and that feels that feels great for her. So yeah, the um, the style profiles are based on the Myers Briggs um, kind of framework of, of personality development, um, which is goes back to Carl Jung and a lot of that kind of foundational psychological work. It's really saying there's a few there's a few main themes in how we show up in the world, and and when we are formed enough as an adult that those those themes are going to be consistent throughout our whole lives and then we can tap into those um, in our fashion as well. So, that, yeah, I could go into more detail around what each will wear, if you like, because that's kind of fun. Um, like, so you could spot which one, which of the style profiles um, you might be. But once you know your style profile, then you can, you can play with it in all those different circumstances. Yeah, so we kind of like choose like we have our main profile if I'm getting the idea right and then we yep. kind of choose which one we need when we are going into a different environment uh it's more so say I'll I'll work with mine to give you a mm -hmm. bit of an yeah. example mine is the light and fun um style profile and so I am really drawn to things that are that are um light and eye-catching um, so, for example, I like um, silk because it's got a little bit of a sheen to it. Um, I also like like bright colors. Um, I also like to wear white and I'm and materials that are um, see through or sheer. And so that will show up even in my sports clothes, where I might wear um, sports clothes that are. You know, I, I love to wear a white top when I'm wearing, when I'm doing gym wear. Um, and so then, and if I was out shopping, I might throw on a pair of jeans, but maybe I'll have a, a bomber jacket that is um, white and purple because I'm really drawn to the light and fun. And it's got a little bit of a fun, playful pattern on it, whereas someone else might want to wear something that's very paired back and um, and toned down um, and so it's more that your your style profile is kind of a little bit like your personality and that you 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 are always going to feel best when you design your outfits from your style profile yeah I think that you can tell a lot about the person when you meet them and you mm. see the way they dress and the way yeah. they all their clothes <laughs> totally this is it and this is what some some ladies will say when we're working together that they they would like their clothes to speak for them because they're going for a new they want to step up in their career or um they've realized that that people kind of miss them misunderstand them you know as people are meeting them in a professional capacity they're not seeing them for their full potential or they're not seeing them for who they actually really are they're misunderstanding who they are um and so they they want their clothes to to be able to send a really clear message 
and it's a pretty powerful way of doing that. I agree. You can you can really tell a lot. I heard from the ladies that probably men don't have this problem at work uh, places, but because they can dress whatever they want, and the ladies they are sometimes concerned if like the dress is not too short or yeah like they're more concerned and more aware of what they are wearing have you ever mm. like yeah have you ever heard someone like sharing these thoughts with you yeah i have and yeah i think it's it's kind of a similar problem to what we were talking about with the consulting in that once you once you provide a huge amount of diversity you know now that we've got so much choice across where someone works, when and how, and that changes everything. Um, you know, we, as women, we've got so many choices in how, in, in what our fashion can look like. And, and men have relatively fewer choices. So in some ways it, it is simpler for them, but they still, they still want to look great. They still, um, you know, men still go to stylists and, and ensure that they are putting their best foot forward with their outfits and, yeah i think it's it is probably just as important to men that they're that they are dressed for for their for their work that they're dressed to put their best foot forward um it's just that they they don't have as many decisions to make in that process i would say okay yeah. got it <laughs> that's what it seems to me so it's like yeah we do i think as women because we've got um you know we've got a, a variety of we've got many different body shapes we've got so many different fashion themes and trends that we can draw from and yeah we there's just a million different styles out there so <laughs> there's just there's a lot of decisions to make to really simplify it but that's where I really like to help people by making it simple making it easy you know behind that simplicity is a lot of sophistication and thinking but but if you can get down to um, to just being able to to hone in on say the ten percent or the twenty percent of of clothes in a store that that hold promise for for your style, then it becomes a lot easier to shop and it becomes a lot easier to to put those looks together as well. I have an idea that you deeply think through what you do and why you do it, and I really want to how did you started styling like how did it happen mm. yeah I had a I had my own styling journey um where for I think probably probably about 15 years I had money to spend on clothes and I and I spent it on clothes when I when I first started earning money I remember often getting to the end of the paycheck and realizing that I had spent all my money on clothes and coffees. <laughs> and so um, I think, you know, it was, it was terrible. But as soon as I could, you know, as soon as I could buy clothes, I, I started buying clothes. So I think it was, it was always there for me as a really strong um, love. But I didn't ever really have clear guidance on, on what suited what suited me and what would look great. And for the longest time, I would just experiment by buying things and trying them out and seeing seeing what worked and what didn't. But like like a lot of people, you know, when you live in cities like 
like London, where I live for a little while, Sydney, and um, or you visit places like Melbourne or in Europe, and you know visit, visited gorgeous cities, and and even even if you don't, you've usually got hundreds of examples of of fashion walking past you every day, and so I would I would look and spend quite a lot of time and thinking on um, working out why does that look good on that lady? And all right, that looks amazing, but why? Um, and then I think what finally happened was I got to um, my early 30s and I lived in a house that was very, that had a very small cupboard, very small closet. So I couldn't fit many clothes in there um, without, you know, having to buy new boxes and pack them under the bed. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity to um, to really refine down to the things that that I love. And at the same time, I was working in the busiest job I'd ever worked in. And I was finding that I'd spend sometimes 10 or 15 minutes in the morning trying to work out just what to wear. And that was a huge amount of time. Like I didn't have 10 or 15 minutes to work out what I was going to wear. And so I realized I needed to, to get my head around this and it became really important to me to, to be wearing things that would help me in my career and in my work that would feel great to me and um, to save myself some time. And so I think that's when I started to um, just make some hard decisions and actually act on what I'd learned. And I read a little bit more as well and, and researched and, and kind of tried to fill in the gaps in my own knowledge. And then a little while later, a few years later, I was asked to give a talk on fashion and it was completely out of the blue. I wasn't offering anything. I wasn't doing styling um, but I was, I said, well, why me? And, um, and it was to help women who were, um, mums of young preschoolers who were kind of trying to, trying to get their, their fashion mojo back. You know, they, they'd lost their, their sense of style in that process because they spent so much time with their baby and their body had changed. And, um, and so I asked why me? And they said, well, you're the, the most stylish person we know. And I um, was completely surprised and and flattered and 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 then of course spent spent some time preparing the talk and realized as I was doing it that I loved I loved doing this I loved helping women and I, I had so much actually that I'd been thinking about so many ideas um, that I wanted to share and and in the end they they all felt. Yeah, I got great feedback. They felt great. They they were able to to get their head around style for themselves after that, and and I just thought I want to do this more. And um, and I was already in business at that time with the consulting work, and um, and I kind of had space and was looking for for what else you know I'd like to do something different. I'm someone who really thrives on variety, um, and actually, my husband said, "Well, you've always loved fashion." what what do you you know why don't you look at that and um that's when I realized there was this ready-made opportunity for for me to step into styling and um and and that would be probably something I would love and five years later that's true that's an interesting story and I it got me really thinking you said that we absorb how people look uh, either when we are traveling in other cities mm-hmm. or in our hometown. Yeah. And I find it that, like, in a bigger cities, people feel a little bit 
pressured I don't know if it's a good word to say pressured but like to look in a certain way yeah and kind of like yeah to dress up to fit in in like Mm. small towns and then countryside areas it's not common at all Mm. yeah do you think like we are a little bit pressured in cities to like dress up nicely and to show up I don't know Mm. yeah I think big cities are more like that in, in lots of ways you know people want to be they want to have the nicest house on the street they want to have the best job and um and and they want to be styled so that they they fit in and mm-hmm. yeah i think there is there is more pressure because you're surrounded by more eyes you're you know you've got more you're in more circles or you've got more connections or um yeah but i think the things that really that really make us happy are mm-hmm. probably the things that have have deeper, you know, deeper meaning that are really, um, you know, knowing knowing who we are and doing things that have purpose and, yeah, being in loving other people, being in being in loving relationships and and working towards something that really matters, and you know that these design elements can really hold us back and can be can be so so important in life, but they're they are um yeah they're no replacement i guess for for really valuing the fact that we've each got huge value as we are and um when we when we try to keep up with the joneses you know try to try to always um meet those other expectations we will just yeah it's fruit i guess it, it feels to me like that's a really hard game to win because there's always going to be someone who's who's um who's hard to please or who's just mean or you know who's um <laughs> yeah who, who's not on your wavelength and there'll always be people who, who think differently so it's probably an even bigger challenge when you're in a city just to to be confident in who you are to know who you are and just to, and to to be the best version of yourself for your for the people who love you and for the people around you that that you want to invest into not for for everyone else yeah I think that is a challenge you're right yeah but I think at the core like what you're doing what is really beautiful is that you would find your own worth and your own value and you would feel good no matter to which environment you go to because you're kind of bringing your environment with yourself with your clothes yes 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 definitely I think that's a really great way of describing it that's exactly it that it's it's being your being yourself value knowing that each of us has incredible value you know that we're we are incredibly loved and and we bring so much to the world you know the world wouldn't be the same without any if if one of us wouldn't here wasn't here the world wouldn't be the same so um yeah it's that's that matters you know and and being able to take with you a sense of of confidence and ease in in each of your environments just adds to that um but you're but you're right that that really counts the most thank you nina it was my biggest pleasure to have this chat with you and what Great. would <laughs> what would be one thing that you would change or recommend for women 
how they approach their style. If you could just tell us and share one thing, how we look into how we look in, into our closets. Yeah, I would um, take that first step that I took, which is to to look into your closet and think, what in this collection do I absolutely love? And almost almost every time, those things that you love will meet your style essentials, as in they will be beautiful for your colours, they will flatter your body shape, and they'll probably have the essence of you in your style personality, your style profile. So because we often, we don't usually get to loving something unless it it meets all of those three style essentials. So if if you know that you love those things, then then I would have a look at it through those eyes and, and keep that piece. And and when you're when you're shopping, think, um, do I love it? Can I love it? <laughs> would I love it? Um, because that's that's really the key to to having style you completely enjoy is that you actually you love those things. And everything goes back to the core, back to yeah. love. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Gosh, I hadn't realized that, but that's true. <laughs> you have to, you have to love it. You got to love yourself. You got to. That's right. You have to. Um, you have to love your stuff. Yeah, and it, it's a. It, it's a. There's a. Those when those things come together, it feels pretty good. So, yeah. Nina, where people could find you? Oh yeah, lovely. Um, I'm at stylegorgeous.com and transformedteams.com and so I'm also on LinkedIn under Nina Fountain and on Facebook the same Nina Fountain and you can find Style Gorgeous Personal Styling and Transform Teams on Facebook um, as well. Thank you so much we will put it into the show notes. Awesome thanks Ace lovely to be here and great to have the conversation it's it's, um, so these are things I love to talk about. So I'm so glad to have the chance. Thank you.